If you'd turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 1. Have you heard any of these? Penny saved is a penny earned. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. A stitch in time saves nine. Is that right? <clears throat> Fools go where angels fear to tread. There's some wisdom in that one, right? Or one of my personal favorites from my own father. Maybe you've heard this, heard me say this before. If you can't run with the big dogs, stay on the porch. Isn't it a tendency of little boys to try to get rough and tumble and then uh, not like how rough it gets and they want to control the aggression. And it's like, well, if you can't run with the big dogs, stay on the porch. I really like that one. That has a lot of applications. So uh, use it freely. Every culture has proverbs of some kind like this that uh, reflect certain values, certain truths. It would have been the same in the time of Solomon and in Israel. In fact, in the in the ancient Near East at this time uh, of world history, there was quite a wisdom movement with wisdom still in existence today. Works of wisdom from places like Babylon and Egypt and Assyria and just various cultures over there that really people will study and kind of compare with the, the Proverbs of the Bible and books like Job and Ecclesiastes that in some ways are actually remarkably similar and there's questions that people have about that. Where do these come from? Uh, many of these taught people how to live. And you think about the book of Proverbs that we have in our Bible. That's really what it's about. How do you live? Or they'd wrestle with the problems of life, the questions of life. Why does suffering happen? What is the meaning of life? How can somebody live a successful life? People's all, people have always sought answers to these kinds of questions. And of course, God has answers to these, doesn't he? And in his wisdom, uh, he gives many of those answers to us in the wisdom books of the Bible. Maybe not exclusively, but that is the setting that the books of Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, you could even say the Song of Solomon, come to us in, that, or that they were written in. When you think of the whole Old Testament, uh, there is, of course, the law, the books of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, with all of its prescriptions and uh, details and um, ways of relating to God, the, the basis of Israel's relationship with God and stories that demonstrate that as well. There are books of history, uh, Joshua, we're reading one of them, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, uh, all of these books of history that are demonstrating their records of God's work among his people, among other things. There are the books of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, all these that are prophets of God exhorting God's people based on the law, exhorting them to do certain things, to live according to God's law or to repent of their sin and, and align their lives with God's law. Of course, there are the Psalms, which are words of worship, the, the hymnal of the Jews. And then there are the wisdom books. And in God's wisdom, we have wisdom in the Bible, and it fills in a lot of the gaps that we need filled in in our lives. You know what it's like for someone to be very moral, but very annoying, right? To be very naive or not very neighborly. Just because a person worships God from the Psalms does not mean he's wise in every way. We could enumerate this maybe in some humorous ways. 
We need wisdom. We need practical guidance for how to live. Really, we need skill in life. And I'm going to use that word a lot. Wisdom, I'm going to equate these terms in, in really a pretty extensive way. Wisdom is, in the Bible, skill, different kinds of skill. Particularly biblical, godly wisdom is skill of a certain type. We don't just need facts about God or history or worship or law. We need all of it together, including wisdom. And God has given us all that we need in the Bible, including the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs falls into a few sections. Uh, it's pretty widely recognized that, and you, I think you may kind of intuitively know this as you read through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter one, chapters 1 through 9 are a, a section, and then chapters 10 through 31 are a section. And there are some sections within sections, but those are the biggest ones. And the difference is in the kind of wisdom literature that they are, as we'll see in a moment. But here in the introduction of the book, Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, our text for tonight, Solomon really is laying the groundwork for a series of topics he intends to teach, especially to young men. Maybe his own children are included. Before, in chapter 10, he, he starts to impart to them the wisdom that he wants them to have for their lives. These are probably young men who are in his court, uh, coming to him, maybe even from other lands, people who aspire to positions of leadership, uh, probably those who would be fathers someday. This very well, some people think that this is uh, written as Solomon is still a very young man. Uh, in this day, men could become fathers when they were still teenagers, as we think of them, which is really strange in our uh, culture and our paradigm. But these, these are men who need formed. They're, they're naive. They don't have experience. But it's not only for young and immature men, as we'll see. It's for women. It's for mature saints. If you just glance at verse 5, Proverbs 1, 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. This is really a book for everybody. The people who really need wisdom because they don't have it, and the people who need wisdom because they know they do have some and they need a lot more, and they're humble enough to recognize it. So this is for everybody. And here is, before we read in verses 1 through 7, where we're going is that you see that Solomon is showing us where the book comes from in the first verse, why it's here, why it's in the Bible, why, it's, why he's writing. And then in verse 7, what essentially he is teaching, what he's arguing through this book. What makes this book of Proverbs different from all the other books of Proverbs that have ever existed in the world? What makes this essentially a book that belongs in the Bible, a book from God? So where it comes from, why it's here, and what it teaches. Let's read Proverbs chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Where has it come from? Well, what is it? The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction and wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. And here's his, you could call it his thesis, what it really teaches. The whole book argues this. The fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you want to memorize a verse, this is a verse to memorize. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So where does this book come from? What is the origin of the Proverbs of Solomon? Well, his, his mode of teaching is what he's alerting us to first. It's through Proverbs. If you would keep a finger here and turn back to 1 Kings chapter 4, there are actually many, many more sayings that Solomon had than just these. And if I forget to say this later, you can kind of keep a finger in 1 Kings chapter 4. We'll turn back here in a few moments as we have time. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. This is right near uh, the beginning of his reign. You get a sense of where his wisdom has come from. We'll return to that idea as well. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, Heman, uh, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke... 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he has quite a range of interests here. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. Men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Proverbs contains... The book of Proverbs contains only about 600 proverbial sayings, and he had some 3,000, apparently. So he had a lot to say and a lot to teach, because this isn't a small book. And when you really get into it and you start thinking about it, you realize that a lot of these Proverbs are really pretty profound, and you wish you could just sit there and think about one of them for a long time and just really understand the depth that's there. Solomon had five times this many. That he was famous for, and you get a sense of the kind of the kind of uh, age that they lived in. Why would foreign dignitaries come to a world power today? Well, it's because they want trade secrets, or because they want in on the technology sector, or they want to make an economic alliance, or something like that. Well, that's not really what was speaking and what was important in those days. It was wisdom, and that's what men sought Proverb Solomon for, as we'll see. And I mentioned briefly before, as he says, Proverbs, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David. There are different kinds of Proverbs or wisdom sayings. I keep using that word, but I'm talking about Proverbs here, little p, not the name of the book, but what are Proverbs? Well, in the book of Proverbs, capital P, there is, I think you could make the distinction between aphoristic wisdom and reflective wisdom, and where it's a little bit down in the weeds here, but uh, this has been helpful to me to make this distinction, and it helps me read more carefully. I hope it will you too. Aphoristic wisdom, you hear the word aphorism in there, the, the kind of proverb that is like an adage or a saying. You could say proverbs proper, the ones that are short and memorable. 
And then there's reflective wisdom. And what are what are the reflective wisdom, uh, reflective kinds of wisdom or proverbs in the Bible? Well, you think about something like Job. That is reflective wisdom. It's not just an account of a man who suffered. It is that, but it's wisdom literature. This was a real man who lived, but it's a poetic account of his life to wrestle with some of the big problems of life. This is a product of the wisdom culture, the wisdom literature. In the book of Job, it's a dialogue, isn't it? It's Job and his friends talking back and forth, wrestling with some of the enigmas of life. In a book like Ecclesiastes, there's reflective wisdom, right? But it's not a dialogue, it's a monologue. It's uh, the, the, the preacher kind of on a monologue teaching these people about some of the big questions of life, really a philosophy of life. Reflective wisdom tends to be more topical, tends to be longer, kind of discursive on human experience. If you turn ahead to Proverbs 10, you're going to run out of fingers here, I guess. Proverbs 10, this is that major break in the book of Proverbs where we get into aphoristic wisdom, the sayings. Proverbs 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes the father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Simple, memorable, packed with truth, generally true. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Well, what about this guy? That's not the point of a proverb. Simple, compact, packed with truth, generally true. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Short, compact, aphorisms, proverbs, prov, prof, per, proper. It's a lot of peace. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 1, and you see here that starting in Proverbs chapter 1, all the way down through chapter 9, we have more reflective wisdom. And I want you to see the difference because it is a big difference. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Is this a short, pithy saying, packed with truth, generally true? Well, we've got something different going on. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. And he keeps going. This is connected. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them. We will find all kinds of precious wealth. Verse 13. Verse 14. Throw in your lot with us. 15. Don't walk in the way with them. 16. Their feet run to evil. It's kind of this extended way of teaching. All the way down through verse 19. Turn ahead to Proverbs chapter 2. Verse 1. This is about the search for wisdom. It's another topic. It's another big principle that Solomon wants to teach. Not in pithy sayings, but kind of in a discourse. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek for her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. You, you can kind of intuitively, as you read, you notice a difference here. And it's an important difference because 
We need to understand it all together or in the parts that Solomon intends it for. So when Solomon says at the beginning of his book, the Proverbs of Solomon, what is he talking about? I'm not going to explain each part of this definition fully, but there is a definition of Proverbs that I heard that I really like. Someone defined it this way. A proverb is a portable saying. We're talking about the, the, the sayings, Proverbs proper. Proverb is a portable saying in poetic form, expressing a general observation conditioned by a cultural worldview. It's a portable saying in poetic form. That's to make it memorable. Expressing a general observation. It's not a universal truth. You, not all of these are promises, the, the real short, pithy sayings. Some of them that, that are about God are, because God's character is changeless. But some of these general observations about life, they're generally true. Are you always healthy, wealthy, and wise when you go to bed early? Have you ever had kids? <laughs> they tend to do none of those things for you, right? <laughs> Nor do they let you go to bed early, I guess. Proverb is a portable saying in poetic form, expressing a general observation conditioned by a cultural worldview. This is Solomon's mode of teaching. It's simple. It's memorable. It's accessible. These are pithy sayings that show you how to live a successful life. Importantly, according to his worldview. What's his worldview? Look at verse 7. This is how to make friends and influence people? No. <laughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is a distinctively God-viewed success. This is success in God's eyes, if you live according to these Proverbs. We'll discover that a bit more maybe next week. This is his mode, but who is the teacher? Well, if, if you were able to keep your finger back in 1 Kings, turn back to 1 Kings chapter 3. He says, Solomon, the son of David, we have some familiarity with him. If you've read the books of history and the accounts of his life, you know more. But especially at the beginning of his life, Solomon did fear God. And God endowed him with enormous wisdom. Look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. This is what God has recorded about him in his word. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense, incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to, to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give to you. Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. This is a lot of humility. Now, O Lord, you have made me made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people, which are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? This is really a remarkable humility. Verse 10, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. 
And he gives them a lot more than that. He really could have asked for whatever he wanted and God would have given it. God does that. Verse 12, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. It's remarkable. This is the teacher. Notice in verse 16, his wisdom, what, what kind of skill does he have? What did God endow him with? How did it, how did it manifest itself? Was he just really smart? Did he, did he get a perfect score on his ACT after that, before he became king? No. What happens? Verse 16, two women who were harlots came to the king, stood before him. All this goes on. He really comes with a, with a really remarkable way to discern whose baby was the living baby. Look at verse 28. It's a remarkable judgment. All Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, and they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. So what did Solomon's wisdom consist of? At least this, that he could judge rightly. It takes wisdom. It takes a certain kind of skill. And if you think about it in our own modern day, some judges you look at and say, you know, he's not worth his salt. But there are some that you look at and you realize that they're really persuaded by the right things and they see the evidence the right way and they always give a punishment that fits the crime and they're, they're never letting people off who shouldn't be let off and they're really consistent at it and they have 40 years of experience at it and everybody really respects them. They have great skill at judging righteously. This is what Solomon had in a really remarkable way and the people knew it was the wisdom of God in this man. Uh, look ahead at 1 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. How else did his wisdom manifest itself? Who is this man? A friend of his father David's, Hiram king of Tyre, sent his servants to Solomon. And they strike this agreement where Hiram is going to provide all this wood. Look at verse 4. Now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. Behold, I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spoke to David my father. Verse 6. Now therefore command that they cut for me cedars from Lebanon. This is the people of Hiram. And my servants will be with your servants. And I will give you wages for your servants according to all that you say. For you know that there is no one among us who knows how to cut timber like the Sidonians. When Hiram heard the words of Solomon, he rejoiced greatly and said, Blessed be the Lord today, who has given to David a wise son over his great people. What did the wisdom consist of here? It's an ability to strike an alliance and to find materials for things and to really administrate a whole process to build a magnificent structure. And he accomplishes this. Look at verse 7. Uh, yes, this is God's blessing on his people. Look at verse 12. The Lord gave wisdom to Solomon, just as he had promised him. And there was a peace between Hiram and Solomon. And the two of them made a covenant. This is really 
an international political kind of savviness here to maintain a relationship with a previous ally and not to really mess it up. Have you ever seen that kind of thing in our day where a new ruler comes in and just destroys an international alliance that has been forged over many years? Well, there's a lack of wisdom there. There's a lack of skill. Maybe it's because of political ideology, but maybe that political ideology makes that person, frankly, dumb. And they lack wisdom to maintain something. Solomon was no such man. We could look at more examples. Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. God made sure of that, apart from the Lord Jesus. And he's the teacher of Proverbs. And this is how he intends to teach. But what is he teaching exactly? And we'll have to leave some of this for another week. But he gets into the, the purpose of the book. I think you could summarize verses 2 through 6 to say that he wants to help you live skillfully in God's world. He's going to do this in two ways. He's going to teach character, and he's going to teach insight. By the book of Proverbs, Solomon wants to help you be transformed in who you are as a person, and he wants to teach you how to think in a mature way and to interact with the sayings of the wise. And again, we'll have to pick up some of this at another time. But just briefly, he wants to teach you character. He wants you to be transformed as you gain real knowledge of reality. I mean, not real knowledge as opposed to fake knowledge, but knowledge of what is really real. Because we tend to be ignorant and we tend to be to, to live in a fog and to deny reality. But he wants to take the, the scales off, you could say. What is his purpose? To know wisdom and instruction. To discern the sayings of understanding. There it is. To know wisdom and instruction. He wants you to know something, but it's really something that changes who you are. And he wants you to teach you how to think. To discern the sayings of understanding. He wants you to engage and really calls you up to a, to a higher way of thinking than you're accustomed to doing. And then he fleshes that out in verses three through six. How do you know wisdom and instruction? You have to receive instruction and in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. And from the perspective of the teacher, that means he will give prudence to, thy, to the naive. He will give to the youth knowledge and discretion. How do you come to discern the sayings of understanding? Well, a wise man, verse five, will hear the sayings of understanding and he will increase in his learning as he thinks about them. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. We've seen thus far from the life of Solomon that wisdom is skill, it's experience, it's shrewdness. But when he says to know wisdom and instruction, that word instruction is the word for discipline. This isn't just learning and, and the final product, but actually the, the process, the rigors of being trained. Is it hard to learn a new skill? When was the last time you tried to learn a new thing? One of the things I was privileged, I suppose, to learn when I was in college, I was a music education major, and we had to learn all sorts of band instruments 
up to the level of about a seventh grader. So that when we theoretically were band teachers in the future, high school, elementary band teachers, we could start our fourth and fifth graders on the clarinet and the flute and the cello and all of these things, and then send them home and drive their parents crazy. But we could just be a little bit above them. Okay. So when I was in school, I played the pre I played a certain instrument pretty proficiently and spent hours a day practicing that. But then I had to go to clarinet class and I had never touched a clarinet in my life. And I had to learn how to squeak and squawk out of a single reed. Okay. And I had to learn the fingerings and I had to learn good posture and I had to learn how to support good tone. And then the next semester I had to go to viola class and I had to scrape and scratch and I had to practice and I had to learn and I had to be about as good as a seventh or an eighth grader. And I had to pass a test and it was really humbling because here I am as a college student playing an instrument very proficiently. And then I have to go back and be a little child. Right? It's hard to go through the discipline of learning when you're back at the beginning. Yeah. You just have to memorize the fingerings and then you've got to drill them. And then you've got to put it into scales and then maybe arpeggios. I had to learn the flute. I had to learn the drums. I had to learn the trombone. I had to learn a whole bunch of things. And every time all of us 18, 19, 20 year olds who think we're big stuff had to go back to the beginning and be little kids and go through the rigors of training. But it was a good formative experience. This is what Solomon wants to give, not just the end product, but the process because you learn how to learn. So he's giving the skill. This is his purpose, verse two, to know wisdom or skill and instruction, discipline. Solomon is offering here the skill of living life in God's world. And this really should be an encouragement to you. So we're taking biblical wisdom out of the realm of intellect, and book smarts, what does that mean? Can you learn a skill? Yeah, you've got to work at it. You've got to practice. You've got to stick with it. You can't give up, but you can learn. And you can grow in it over time. Biblical wisdom isn't based on an IQ. Just because you do well in school does not mean that you're wise in God's eyes. Just because you did bad in school or you struggled in math or English or writing or whatever, that doesn't mean that you can't be wise. You can be wise. You just have to go through God's school and learn God's way. This book intends to give you the wisdom of experiences you don't have. I was getting some tires replaced recently, and the tire guy was telling me about the, the sound room, I think is what he called it, that they have at Goodyear. And it's really this remarkable room that apparently if you go into it for 15 minutes, it's so soundproof. People re reportedly can't even handle the insulation from the sound and it just drives them crazy and they have to get out of the room. It's so quiet in there. But Goodyear tests these tires in there and you've seen Goodyear tires. You know, it's a worldwide company and they test them on all these different kinds of conditions and all these different kinds of uh, road surfaces before they get it into the real world, before they take it to production so they can de eliminate design flaws, so they can 
anticipate real world problems before it's on a real car with real people in it. They need all of those experiences before they really put it to test and put a lot of money into it and put a lot of safety specs into it. This is what Proverbs gives you. It gives you experience ahead of time. You can learn from the experience of others or you can forge ahead and learn the hard way. We have a phrase, don't we? That you learned it the hard way. You wouldn't listen to other people, so you had to make all your own mistakes and forge your own way. And sometimes that can be helpful. Learning about gravity, you tend to learn that the best way, the hard way. This is what we need, and this is what God offers. And that's his grace to us. People leave the rest for another time to really understand how we get this. Because you do have to listen. You have to grasp it. You have to certainly want it, but you have to submit yourself to the rigors of this. There is no room for pride in the wisdom of the Bible. And I think as we'll see, Solomon really lifts up the mask on pride and shows us how it might be operating in ways that we didn't even realize to make us resist the instruction that God intends to give. And of course, the front door and the path that we walk on is the fear of the Lord. If we don't fear God, we cannot even begin to understand the first elements of what it means to be wise. But even the most simple saint can fear God and far exceed the most learned men because that is the entrance into God's school of wisdom. Trust this will be a, a beneficial series uh, together this year as we get into the book of Proverbs, but let's seek the Lord together for his wisdom this year. Father, we thank you that you do give us such a, a variety in your word of instruction about how to live. And you don't leave us with just the bare bones. You really do give us very practical instruction and direction. Lord, I pray that each one of us here and online and our whole church, I pray that none of us would see ourselves as too advanced to hear again and to learn again some of the most basic truths of how we ought to live. Lord, certainly we all need to be humble. We all need to be teachable. And that's really what a book like Proverbs brings us to again and again. Are we willing to receive instruction? We know that it's the fool who says in his heart that there is no God. But it really is foolish also to despise instruction, to think that we don't need help. Lord, we all do need your guidance. We pray that you'd give it to us this year. Give us your wisdom. Help us to be pleasant people, people who really do a service to the name that we carry. And uh, we don't detract. We don't give people things to hold on to just by our ill will and our poor conduct. Lord, form us into people like Jesus Christ who... We believe, even though there might not be record of each individual proverb, we believe that Jesus lived and embodied all of these things as your wisdom. And that is a marvel that he never did a foolish thing in his life. He never resisted instruction, even though he was God. Help us to be humble. 
Help us to look to you and seek your wisdom this year. We pray it in Christ's name.